Welcome back, my fellow creatives. Here today, this morning, I'm still waking up. <laughs> so it's a good thing this is story cuppings because I need to take a sip of coffee and a sip from a story. And I'm very excited to be diving back into fantasy with you. And continuing with Pride Month, we have here Crown of Feathers by Nikki Pau Preto. And I have to say, this cover is gorgeous. I, it's That is probably when I what caught my attention more so than even the the tagline on the uh, on the back here i am a daughter of death from the ashes i rose like a phoenix from the pyre and that right there i mean this is promises I, I i love phoenix i love i love the myth of the phoenix i love the potential a phoenix brings and it just it caught my eye and so i'm excited to dive in to this world with you and take a sip from the story to see if you, my fellow picky readers and working writers, uh, have something to gain from trying this story out. So let's dive into page, ooh, a map. We can't dive into the map, sorry. Uh, but no, I do like the map's balance of unique language as well as familiar language. It's always an excellent balance. When you are writing fantasy and creating your own world, it's always tempting to have unique words for absolutely everything, but you really don't have to have a completely new language. We, we can't all make up Elvish. I mean, if you want to, go for it. I'm, I, for one, do not have that mindset. <laughs> As a working writer, I want to be able to work on the story. And if I come up with some cool words, awesome. <laughs> Otherwise, I just want to focus on writing the story. So, but the map is very neat. That's cool to have here. All right, let's take a look at chapter one. Uh, it's, uh, it's labeled Veronica. So we must be getting into some different points of view throughout the book. And by heading the chapters with a specific character name, we will know whose point of view we are from. Uh, we are working with, I mean. Now, that makes a lot of sense as both a writer and for a reader to see clearly whose point of view you are reading from. The only downside I see with that as a writer, and again, this is this is my personal preference here, is that if you have to label who uh, the the point of view and and just have this like heading for this is the character that's talking, that makes me worried that all the voice all the character voices will sound the same, and that's why you have to label them. But again, that's my that is my personal preference. That just may have been the best way the writer decided uh, to head off the chapters rather than making chapter names and chapter titles and all that. All right, let's start reading. Veronica gathered the bones of the dead. That's a really good first sentence. <laughs> I am not going to lie. That's a really good first sentence. I dig that. We are um, automatically wondering why on earth someone named Veronica would be sifting through 
ugh, it just it, it's automatically a little bit creepy. Plus, by having the name of the character in the sentence as well, we know we are not dealing with first person. We are dealing with a third person limited as far as point of view. Joints of venison blackened and burned on the spit, and racks of ribs stewed so long that they were dry and brittle as driftwood. She dug through rotten lettuce and potato peelings for tiny, sharp-as-dagger fish bones and the hollow, delicate bones of birds. The small owl perched on her shoulder hooted softly in distaste at her most recent discovery. Veronica shushed him gently, piling the bird bones inside her basket with the rest and standing. It was late evening, the cool night air threatening frost. The village streets were empty and quiet, with no one to notice the solitary girl digging through their garbage heaps. The clouds above glowed iron gray, obscuring the full moon and making it almost impossible to see in the darkness. That was why she'd called the owl to be her guide. His eyes were precise in the black of night, and with a nudge to her mind, he showed Veronica the way over rocks and boulders and under low-hanging branches. In her haste, she tripped and stumbled anyway. Val had told her to hurry, and she knew better than to keep her sister waiting. Excitement and anticipation crackled in her veins, tinged with no small amount of fear. Would tonight finally be the night? So that's the first page. And we get some excellent sensory detail of the setting of where Veronica is. We also get a bit of world building too, that Veronica is able to communicate with an owl and the owl was willing to help her, which says something about the character as well. It's not like the owl was forced into some sort of zombie-like state to do her bidding. It's nudged, nudged her to help show her the way. And that's, that is a very gentle verb. That's a very gentle action. So it's already, we are seeing that Veronica is a kind of soul that can not only communicate with animals, but animals are willing to communicate with her. So let's move on to page two here. Veronica's breath created clouds in front of her face as she made her way back to the cabin she and Val shared. It was small and had been deserted when they found it, the bright blue paint peeling on its front door and the shutters broken, probably used during the warmer months for hunting and then abandoned during the rainy winter season. The weather, the weather was getting drier and hotter with each passing day, so they wouldn't be able to stay much longer. Another home come and gone. As the cabin came into view, Veronica's insides contracted. The thick column of smoke that had been billowing from the chimney when she left was nothing more than a thin, thin stream of ghostly wisps. They were running out of time. She ran the last few steps, the flimsy wooden door thwacking against the stone wall as she pushed her way into the single room. All was darkness, save for the orange flicker of the glowing embers. The smell of smoke was heavy in the air, the taste of ash bitter on her tongue. Val stood in front of the round hearth in the middle of the cabin, turning at the sound of Veronica's entrance. She wore an impatient, agitated expression as she snatched the basket from Veronica's grip and stared in at its contents. She snorted in disapproval. 
If that's the best you can do, she said, tossing it carelessly aside, half the bones spilling onto the packed earthen floor. You said to hurry, Veronica objected, looking around Val to see that the fire burned hot and low beneath a pile of new kindling. These weren't the boiled or spit-blackened bones of animals, though. These were large white bones. Human-looking bones. Val followed her line of sight and answered the unasked question. And still you took too long, so I went looking on my own. A shudder ran down Veronica's spine despite the heat. So that's just about another page. And we are getting some, some more nice development here. We understand that Veronica and her sister are somewhat nomadic or squatting at least, you know, and this is something they are used to. This is something they have been doing for a while. We learned that with that sentence, another home come and gone. Uh, we also get a sense that Veronica is either the younger of the sisters or at least the more submissive of the two, that she is willing to deal with Val's attitude over her findings of the bones, over her taking orders from Val, and the fact that Val used human-looking bones, which makes it pretty certain that they are human. That's what we're led to guess at this point, uh, that Val is a bit more vicious than Veronica which says something a lot about her character, someone who is willing to dig up humans or hunt down humans versus one that the animals are willing to communicate with. So we are getting already a little sense of a conflict here, even though it sounds like both are working for a common goal. Now let's move ahead just a smidge. Um, the owl flees the scene that had been helping Veronica and Val criticizes Veronica for having an owl help. The riders didn't treat their mounts like pets to be cuddled and fawned over Veronica. They were warriors, phoenix heirs, and their bond wasn't love. It was duty, honor. Phoenix airs. Even with Val's scolding, excitement blazed in Veronica's heart whenever her sister spoke about Phoenix writers, animages who'd bonded with phoenixes. The literal translation of the ancient Pyrian word was Phoenix masters, something Val often reminded her of. Only animages could become writers because only through their magic could they hatch, communicate with, and ride the legendary creatures. It was all Veronica had ever wanted to be a phoenix rider like the warrior queens of old. She wanted to soar through the sky on phoenix back, to be fierce and brave like Lyra the Defender, or a Valkyra of Ashfire, the feather-crowned queen. But it had been more than 16 years since the last phoenix riders had graced the Golden Empire's skies. Most had died in the blood war when a Valkyra and her sister Ferrania were pitted against each other in a battle for the Empire's throne. The rest had been labeled traitors for turning against the Empire and were hunted down and executed afterward. 
practicing animal magic without registering and paying heavy taxes had been made illegal, and animages like Veronica and Val had to live in secrecy and squalor, hiding their abilities in constant fear of being captured and forced into servitude. And then begins... Oh, a, a, a lot of exposition, which is a bummer because we started this chapter in some action and the conflict, the unspoken conflict, conflict, but between two sisters, there was definitely, you know, there's a little, there's some issues there, even though they are working together, but then we get a lot of talking. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, a lot of explaining and that's that's a bugger especially as i look at page five um when we find out when veronica in the mist of her explain explanations is letting us know they actually have phoenix eggs in this fire um veronica moved around Val to kneel next to the hearth. The phoenix eggs nestled there were roughly the size of her cupped hands and their color and texture were so similar to that of natural stones that they could easily be overlooked. It was a defense mechanism, Val had said, so that phoenixes could lay their eggs in secret and leave them unguarded for years until they, or an animage, came to hatch them. The riders often concealed eggs as well, placing secret catch secret caches inside statues and sacred spaces, but many had been destroyed by the empire during the war. Veronica and Val had been searching for phoenix eggs for years in every rundown temple, abandoned rider outpost, and forgotten building they could find. And I feel like that right there is where our story could have begun. And and again, that that, that is a personal choice on my part. I mean, clearly... Uh, Nikki Palprito also picked a really good place to start. I'm not going to disagree with that. You know, they're on the cusp of getting these eggs to hatch. That's still a pretty pivotal moment. And and maybe it's just because my family's been rewatching the Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> and you have that opening adventure scene. And I feel like, oh, that could have been its own movie. And I feel like the search for these phoenix eggs, especially understanding they would be hidden in all these secret places, abandoned places, booby trap places. It would have been such a wonderful opportunity to explore the world, do some world building without having to tell us, hey, there was a war and lots of people were killed and betrayed. And rather than telling us it, we could have seen it seen the rundown temple, seen the abandoned rider outpost, and learn as our protagonists are learning. Rather than being told, hey, all this stuff happened long ago, let's focus on this now. And I just, oh, it, it, it gets me as a storyteller when people choose to just posit the information rather than letting us experience it. <sighs> again, however, this is already a pretty long book. This book is over 400 pages. So again, it's a writer's choice. Maybe even the editor's like, look, you got to start 
somewhere. <laughs> you can't cover all the things. And as a writer, I also appreciate that too. And chances are some readers would also just love to dive in at this moment. So please do not take my preference as a storyteller as some sort of dig because there's still some excellent language in here. There's still a really good sense of a problem between sisters without being told that there's a problem. That's awesome. I just wish that we could have been shown the world instead of being told what it is. That's, but that's my personal preference here. We can go on just a little bit more here and see what else we can learn on page five. Um, with the death of its feather crown queen, the empire had become a lawless, somewhat dangerous place, but it was still safer for animages than, oh, I'm sorry. Um, Pyra had once been a province of the empire, but it had declared its autonomy under Alvalkyra Ashfire's leadership. With the death of its feather crown queen, it had become a lawless, somewhat dangerous place, but it was still safer for animages than the empire. Without proper identification, Veronica and Val hadn't been able to cross the border. Plus, they were animages. If their magic had been discovered, they would have been put into bondage. So they'd been forced to travel within the Empire, Val leading, Veronica following. They'd slept in ditches on rooftops in the pouring rain and the sweltering heat. Val would disappear, sometimes for days, then return with blood on her shirt and a coin purse in her hands. Those had been hard times, but they'd finally bribed their way onto a merchant caravan and been smuggled into Pyra, their parents' homeland. Veronica had been certain that, finally, their luck would change. And after several long months, it had. Val had found two perfect phoenix eggs hidden in a crumbling temple deep in the wilderness of Pyra. One for each of them. Just thinking about that day brought a prickle of tears to Veronica's eyes, a surge of emotion that she fought to keep in check. Whenever Val caught sight of Veronica's euphoric smile at the prospect of what they were doing, she'd meet it with cold, hard truths. Sometimes eggs don't hatch. Sometimes the phoenix inside chose not to bond or died during the incubation process. Even now, Val didn't smile or take joy in the sight of the eggs in the hearth. Their incubation was as somber as a funeral pyre. A bone snapped in the hearth and a cloud of ash rose up. Veronica held her breath so she wouldn't inhale the dead. Now I know I'm running out of time here, but again, I just, I, I, it's a shame that we had to be told all this happened instead of being shown it. But still, there's a lot of potential in this story. I, I love the what I am learning. And while I wish I could have been shown it as a reader, I appreciate how much ground Nikki is trying to cover and establish in these first few pages as a writer. Uh, do I want to continue looking at Crown of Feathers? Yeah, yeah I'm going to finish this cup. That's for sure. And if you are intrigued by Phoenix writers and crumbling empires and mysterious animages, I bet you'd enjoy sipping from the story of Crown of Feathers as well. We'll see what we can sample next week. So until then... Read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers.